On this week's episode, Spider-Man destroys the box office. Josh has his thoughts on the best of pop culture, and the Lord of the Rings hits 20. All this and more as we celebrate a happy holiday right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and the Lakers Fast Break. Truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our shows. And if you can, please give us a five-star review in our stocking. Plus also as well, you can go ahead and like, subscribe, share, or do anything that you can to support us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, Game Source, Humanican Media, the Lakers Fast Break, or anything that we do at popculturecosmos.com or Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, because not only do we share the latest news and trends of pop culture right there for you, you can also check out the hours upon hours upon hours of awesome tabletop RPG gameplay. In fact, we had over six hours, two different games, on for you at Facebook, at Pop Culture Cosmos. You can support any of these ventures, plus our YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, or Twitch, or anything out there that we do at the Pop Culture Cosmos, including popculturecosmos.com. It is sincerely appreciated. And it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. He is our own jolly elf of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out what he's doing today at popculturecosmos.com. His awesome shows, Topic Ocalypse and the Super BS Gamescast, plus his amazing book, which if you don't get it in time to get sent out to your favorite person as a gift, congratulations, you suck. You can actually get it still on a digital format to make sure it gets there in time the Christmas deadline at Amazon and Barnes Noble. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. What's up, man? What is up? So I've actually been debating this with people all week. Do you think there's ever going to be another classic Christmas movie? Like one that you walk into Target or Walmart and see like on the Christmas display with like Miracle on 34th Street and the Santa Claus and Christmas story. And do you think hard. we're ever going to get that on Die Hard? Do you think we're ever going to get that? Or do you think that like these cheap cable TV Christmas movies have just oversaturated the holiday movie Walmart. marketplace? Hallmark has become a had you know obviously everyone knows what they do in the greeting card business, but you know, they lent their name to this network, the Hallmark Network, and all these movies that they down do, especially relating to the Christmas holiday season, has become a billion dollar industry well, for them and i agree with you that has put out a glut of so many christmas movies mediocre or ones that people just enjoy that really just are not going to be memorable to four or five years down the line mm-hmm. i agree with you the same thing i want to ask you is you know in regards to a christmas song when is the next christmas song that's going to be memorable like mariah's carries right. after that one there's really nothing wham made one in the 80s mariah carey made one in the 90s after that, there's been nothing it's, it has just latched on as that next great Christmas hit. So I agree with you, my friend, on both a TV and a music front that we probably may not have another film or song that's going to resonate. I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm hoping you're wrong. But there's a good chance that there may not be another song or movie down the line that's going to resonate like the old classics has. People don't get warm fuzzies from Christmas anymore, you know. It's like it does. It's no longer the time when people are just like good to each other, the 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 pure goodness of their hearts, you know. And that's what a lot of those old Christmas movies was about. It's just we as a society are so locked up in conflict, and it makes me so sad because Christmas is so great, man. Well, we will try to spread the good and positive Christmas spirit right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. We got a lot of spirit to go ahead and dish out to you on today's program because we are going into spoiler territory, going ahead and diving deep into it. We're going to talk about Spider-Man No Way Home. It is a monstrous hit, even beyond what I was expecting, what anyone was expecting. How much did it earn in its first weekend? Historic numbers. 
and we will tell you what they are coming up here on the show. Plus, we will have our reviews and full thoughts on it as far as any spoilers that are going on. We will go ahead and try and dish out the best we can on it as we review Spider-Man No Way Home on today's show. Plus, also as well, the word on Yellowstone and 1883, the spiritual prequel to that major hit series. We're going to talk briefly about what kind of good vibes are coming from Yellowstone. How big a hit is it? and how 1883 succeeds on that Yellowstone platform. We're going to tell you about how this has been such a big boon for Paramount coming up on the show as well. Plus, also, we're going to be talking about Power On, the story of Xbox. If you are an Xbox fan, I will tell you why. You need to go ahead and sit down and catch the documentary of Xbox coming up on the show. Plus, also, Lord of the Rings reaches 20. One ring to rule them all. That's right. For 20 years, Lord of the Rings has been around as a great movie set. And the original Fellowship of the Ring hits 20 this week. We will talk about the impact the Lord of the Rings has in the 20 years. Plus also, Josh's best and worst of pop culture. He's going to talk about what he liked and what he didn't like in the year of 2021. That's coming up on the back end of the show. Plus we preview a heavy, heavy week. We're going to talk about how big a week and all the great stuff that's coming to you this Christmas coming up on the back end of the show as well. But first, my friend, it is Spider-Man No Way Home. What was the projections, I think, leading into the weekend? $150 million U.S., about $275, $300 million worldwide. They weren't even close. I had said to Jeff Sloboda last week on the MCU's Bleeding Edge, I think that this would be the first billion-dollar movie of the pandemic. And I think I'm going to be right on that one because, yes, with all respect to the battle at Lake Shangjing, which has just garnered over $900 million worldwide, basically and essentially at China in the box office, the movie... Spider-Man No Way Home did absolutely insane numbers, especially in the middle of a pandemic, especially with things starting to close down and shut down and lock back up again, which I'm hoping that's not going to be the case, but it's looking more and more in that direction. People were just out there, maybe because they thought things were going to look bleak as far as going back to the box office here in two, three weeks with what's going on with the pandemic. They went out in big numbers. Not only did it garner over a $50 million Thursday, it garnered over a $100 million Friday on its way to a $253 million domestic U.S. opening and a $587 million worldwide take. Just absolutely insane, my friend. Absolutely insane. When you hear those numbers before we even get into the movie itself, what does that tell you, my friend? Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd say it's a hit. I'd say people were willing to go. Out. And so we went and saw it today. And this was the first time that I've been in a movie theater post-pandemic where we have had people literally sitting right next to us because the theater was so packed out. So this is yeah. definitely something that people are willing to risk whatever's out there to go and see this movie in theaters. And I think that it was a smart move by Disney to say, like, hey, this is not going to be popping onto Disney Plus on, you know, no, Sony. Day, Sony. Oh, well, yeah. Whoever said, you know, this is not going to be something you can stream from your couch. This is something you're going to have to go to the movies to watch. And I mean, you look at it, it definitely pays off. But I mean, just knowing the content within the film, you can see why people are going to see this movie. Absolutely. Just amazing numbers. Again, $587 million worldwide. Over $250 million here at the U.S. box office. In fact, in its first four days alone, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it has already earned more domestically than anything in 2021 that was released. It beat already Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings in its first four days. And that's just outstanding and amazing. You cannot provide enough superlatives on that. But getting into the movie itself, I want to go ahead and say I will have an update on my marvel cinematic universe article that i constantly update with each and every movie in the pop culture cosmos now, i'm glad now that i don't have to add the venom movies on it and i will just go in and start off with that because we are going into spoiler town so if you haven't watched spider-man no way home you probably want to turn it off for a few minutes or change the channel or check out one of our previous shows that's even better if you want to go ahead and do that for the next few minutes because we're going to go heavy in the spoilers 
I am so glad, first off, that I don't have to add the Venom movies to my MCU list because of what happened as far as the end credit is concerned in regards to Venom. Let's talk about that for a second. Kevin Feige did say that they were going to meet up in some form in an interview last week. So you might have to go back and add those movies. Well, when I will, when that happens, I will. I mean, there is a Venom that was left behind, a little piece of Venom, but Tom Hardy and the main Venom are going back into the Spider-Verse end of the Spider-Verse and not in the MCU universe. They were there for a brief day, but they now end up back on the Sony side of things. Let's just put it that way for now. That Obviously, like you said, that could change. It probably will change, but I'm just thankful that it has. But getting into the movie itself, I'm going to turn it over to you, my friend, first off. Your thoughts on it. Let's go into spoilers. Whatever you want to talk about, my friend, when it concerns Spider-Man No Way Home. Okay, can we just, uh, let's hit the rewind button for a second. Now we're going back down to Rumor Street. Okay, and all the things that I said were rumor turned out to be true. Do you remember? Well, I also tell you right now, the one thing you can never do is trust a Marvel trailer. Because there were scenes that were shot in the trailer, or that, that were shown in the trailer, they removed... that never, oh. never made it to the screen. Never made it to the screen. Yeah. So a while back, I predicted, right? I was like, hey, rumor has it Charlie Cox is going to be in this movie. Okay, we'll talk about the movie as a whole for a minute, all right? Like, absolutely fantastic movie. Like, this is probably, it's not my top Marvel film. That that still goes to um, Captain America and the Winter Soldier. But this is definitely, like, probably my number two Marvel film right now. Really? And uh, I, I wish I could hold that high esteem on it. I Well, because it, it took... Everything like it, I kept saying like it would be great if they brought, you know, if they brought made canon into all the other Spider-Man movies, and they did that and they delivered on that. But it wasn't just that. Like this was a movie more about Peter Parker than Spider-Man, right? Like Peter Parker's yes. tragic. He's this tr- very very tragic character. Like his life is filled with just heartbreak and tragedy and homecoming and far from home. He's learning how to be Spider-Man. He's he's. You know, he wants his social circle. He wants to be Spider-Man. He wants the girl. He wants it all. But now he's slowly starting to realize that he can't have it all. You know, and that's why the whole thing went wrong with Doctor Strange making the spell and Peter kept changing it. That's what caused things to boom out of control. But now we're finally getting to see the real Peter Parker. Like, we're getting to see that tragic and dark side of the Spider-Man comics. And... I think they did a great job of like really having his character develop into something that's more akin to the Peter Parker we see in the comic books. They did a good job of developing him over the course of these three films into what he is now. With this movie having the other Spider-Men in it, they did a good job of taking what was good from those franchises, those lessons learned from the Peter Parkers there, and incorporating it into this film. So I think that... Peter Parker might be in a dark place right now, but I think moving forward, they've set Spider-Man up, you know, these next three movies that Feige and Pascal have been talking about, and they are really headed in a direction that is going to show us a more grown and matured Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Hey, this is Chad from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to Pop Culture Cosmos Podcast. You've heard others... But nothing could prepare you for the shameful stupidity that is the Jock and Nerd Podcast. Witness the hubris as they claim to be the world's authority on comic book movies. Who said that? Never said that. We've never said that. Who cares? A jock said that. Comic book, TV, movie reviews, news, and whatever they choose. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Jock and Nerd Podcast. Seriously, people really listen to this. Uh, Jock and Nerd! Once again, we're back at the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glasser along with my good friend Josh Peterson. Before the break, you heard Josh's thoughts on the latest Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man No Way Home. We're still deep in the waters of late spoilers, as it were. So I want to go ahead and just talk about Spider-Man No Way Home. On my end, I was thinking overall that this movie is a good movie. It's an okay movie. Pretty good. Did not love this movie. Uh, I think the first part of the movie is the problem. When it comes down to it, the way it closed out, the arc of Peter Parker was good. Very good. The battle of Sinister Five, in this case, against 
Peter Parker, Peter Parker and Peter Parker, a.k.a. Tom Holland, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. That was great. I love the collaboration between all three and the coordination and the teamwork that they ultimately had to go ahead and work on. I do like the fact that it just felt like a comic book. It almost like was lifted off the panels oh, that yeah. scene at the Statue of Liberty itself. I was just amazed by it. And I just, uh, sorry, part of the pun, but that part of it was really good. The effectiveness of how they came together was a little bit clunky, but it worked well enough for what it was. But again, yes, the back half of the movie, once it gets to the Statue of Liberty, it really starts to find its niche and find yeah. its rhythm and, and it closes down on a great note. With me, the only problem is the first half of the movie, especially okay. the first part, was really messy, really convoluted. And you have to go ahead and stretch your imagination real far that Peter Parker, a.k.a. Tom Holland, has to be the dumbest guy on earth for someone who wants to go ahead and apply to MIT to really have as many issues in regards to this. This whole way and about, about how everything did not come together the fact that Charlie Cox can come and basically no, and say Doctor, everything is Doctor fine. Doctor Strange, right? Ooh. No, I'm talking about Charlie Cox and Daredevil saying, oh, everything is fine as far as the charges that are suddenly against you uh -oh. without even definitively saying, hey, the footage was doctored or anything like that. They could have found something more explainable for that. I really thought that was disappointing as far as the first half of the movie, the first third, let's say. Really disappointing how they set things up. I thought it was very messy. Once it finds its rhythm and once it finds its niche, about the 60% mark, it's really a good movie. So was it the, the legal aspect of the movie or was it well, the, the... First, the first the first the first thing for, let's put the MIT stuff aside. The okay. first thing that is a problem is the way that they set up as far as uh, you know what they touched on from far from home and the after credit scene. And now he's public enemy number one because of what was thought in regards to Mysterio's concern. They thought he killed Mysterio, et cetera, et cetera. And the way that they set that up and they just kind of brushed it to the side with just one conversation with Daredevil, Charlie Cox, yeah. uh, because he's our lawyer. It just seemed like you just threw away everything that you tried to go ahead and build upon in the last movie and just brushed it under the rug really quickly. And it just, it seemed like it was just something that these are charges, major charges against him. And just to you know be saying, oh yeah, it's, everything's brushed away and everything's done against everybody. All charges are, are dropped and things of that nature, except for Happy. I really thought that that was disappointing the way they did. He just quickly brushed it under the rug and they didn't elaborate more on it or go ahead and uncover the fact to the world that it was Mysterio's fault, or you just have to assume that everybody knows now that the footage was doctored. And it's just something that you should have devoted more time to cleaning up. And then the MIT aspect of it, you know, oh, just because the association with Peter Parker, there's no way that they would want to go ahead and you're going to accept them. But yet somehow he saves Paula Newsom, who does a great job on CSI Vegas, I wanted to mention. And automatically, he's going to get his friends reconsidered into it. To me, it's just a stretch. You have to really stretch your imagination. Plus the fact that, you know, Dr. Strange calls him out for something you and I would have done in regards to it as far as protest or under, try to understand why yeah. really you were rejected from MIT. And Dr. Strange calls him out on it and just shows that, okay, you're applying to one of the best schools in North America. And you want to say you're a student and to make those kind of mistakes really without any type of guidance or any type of input sought is just really disappointing. And just really kind of the way that they set that up was really messy. It just was kind of messy. It just, just they brushed a lot of stuff under the rug just so they could get to go ahead and bring all the past villains from the previous Spider-Man films and just go from there. And I understand once it gets into more of the development arc of the Green Goblin and Willem Dafoe's character, Really, it starts to make a turn for the better there. And obviously, the death of Aunt May, I know a lot of people were really touched on. The jokes themselves out there, the humor fell flat on virtually every occasion. I didn't think anything was really funny in the movie. The Marvel humor really went astray from this film, especially when the scene when they're in Peter's apartment, the breakup between Aunt May and Happy, and then also the scene where they find Peter and MJ. It's, it just really was very convoluted and it just didn't fit well didn't mesh well the jokes weren't funny they were falling flat the first 40 to 50 percent of the film really needs to be reworked but it's the last half 
that gets everything right. And I think that's what everybody remembers. Just how they get there yeah. was part of the problem. So it's weird because I didn't notice that part of the problem. Like I just was kind of like along for the ride there. The hitch that I hit in the beginning of the film was this Doctor Strange is completely different from the Doctor Strange in the other movies. Like this doc the other Doctor Strange, like he's, you know, from from films past, he's cautious and he's wise and he knows the consequences of his actions. But this Doctor Strange seems like, oh hey, yeah, you want to uh, you want me to pull a cheeseburger out of another dimension. The, let's well, go well, ahead. Well you and know do what that, it reminds you know? me of? It reminds me of the original Doctor Strange in the in the Doctor Strange movie when he was first learning his powers and he was so brash. Yeah, well it's like he like they devo- they devolved his character, like they, they sent him backwards. And I guess like he had to do that because that was kind of a springboard for not only this movie to happen, but the multiverse of madness, right? Because yeah. if you watch the trailer that happened after the credits rolled. AKA after credit scene, but it was really looked like a trailer. A trailer, yeah. And you, you can hear that Wong is clearly upset with, with Strange, right? Like The Sorcerer Supreme Wong. Yeah. Wong. And him saying like, hey, there's going to be consequences for your actions and stuff like that. So the Doctor Strange part, that's where I, I hit a hitch. But then again, like, Benedict Wong is just so cool. I just want to put that out there. Benedict Wong is just so awesome. Yeah, no, he's amazing. I always thought that he was great. And Marco Polo, I think it was. It was Deadly Class, it was really good in two yeah. for that one season on sci-fi. Yeah, but anyways, I mean, that that's where the hitch got me. But, I mean, I didn't really notice a lot of the stuff that you did. I was just kind of along for the ride because I was so excited for the things that, like, I had a feeling were going to happen, so I was just like, yeah. But you're a bigger Spider-Man fan than I am. Yeah. Spider-Man yeah, has meant more to you over the course of your life than, a lifetime than me, and this is a culmination of bringing everything together. And to me, I saw that at the very end, and I was very happy and glad I did. It's just, again, the, the things that brought it together in order to go ahead and finish out this story, it just was kind of messy, and I, I really didn't enjoy that aspect of it. Until that point, once it started to roll, it really rolled. But yeah. it really, up until that point, it was kind of a, a messy roller coaster ride for me. So let me ask you this, though, and and like I want to talk about a couple more scenes of the movie before we move on. But what did you think about the turn of the villains? Right, like that was another part that kind of threw me off a little bit. You have like, oh hey, we don't want to die when we go back to our own dimension, so we're gonna come up with a cure for these guys so that they somehow miraculously don't die. Uh, uh, but I then, let me ask you this: if Doctor Octopus, even if he becomes good, is doesn't he go back to his universe still underwater? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because he remembered pulling the machine into the river, like he he said that in the movie. But what was weird to me is like they're all sitting there in the apartment and they're like. Yeah, we totally want to be cured so that we don't die. And then all of a sudden they're like, you tried to cure us. Let me smash your face in. Like there's this big battle, like the little like thing that happened, the the light switch or whatever you want to call it, like the snap, the non-Thanos snap, you know, that shifted their motivations in another direction was it was really just bizarre how it happened you know like it didn't it wasn't just willem dafoe's character that did that really hard snap and you can understand that with his character with the two different personalities but with everybody else they don't have that same excuse right so it's just it it was jolting i guess it just felt weird how it happened and then i get you know we learn from that scene though you know the death of aunt may we learned that there was never an uncle ben in the mcu it was always just Aunt May. Like, that was something that totally threw me off. We also learned that MJ is not Mary Jane. She's Michelle Johnson, I Jones. think. Michelle Jones. Jones Watson. The MCU is not adjacent to the comic books, as we're learning. Like, this feels more like the Ultimates universe, you know, than anything else. Having Daredevil in is great because it just sets up everything for his future as well. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, well, we can talk about that a whole other day because we're taking up a lot of time with this. But, you know, the one thing I did really love about this was the interactions between the three Spider-Men, right? Like you had Andrew Garfield was clearly like the most excited. He comes from like the darkest universe, but he was the most excited to have them all together. Like he had this childlike glee. Tobey Maguire was like the wise, experienced Spider-Man. You had Tom Holland, who's just in this really dark place, right? Because he had just lost his aunt. So just the interactions between them were really cool. And they were fun to watch. Like I love the apartment scene where with Ned's grandma, like that was really entertaining. What was, I guess, like my final thoughts here was, was what was kind of rather convoluted was the fact that like, 
they have these villains that come from the worlds of these Spider-Men, but these Spider-Men are older than what they were in their movies, right? Like Tobey Maguire yeah. is, is older and wiser. Andrew Garfield's character is clearly grown, right? Because he refers to the death of Gwen Stacy. But this all happens after you know these villains come from their worlds, but these villains are already dead and they remember killing them. So is it from their world, but from different timelines? Like the, the timelines going across this movie are a little bit confusing. And then also... Now that Electro is going back without his powers, does this mean that Gwen Stacy never died in Andrew Garfield's world? Like, there's so many things that, like, need to be explained upon, and I don't think they're ever going to go back and do that. I don't think they will either, but again, this does set up the future for Tom Holland's Spider-Man. I think he will, even though he's, again, hinted in several interviews that this might be the last we see of Tom Holland's Spider-Man. I disagree. I know that there was rumors that a contract has been signed for another three movies for him. Yeah. So I think that right now Sony is just going to write a blank check and say, Tom Holland, you put the numbers in there because we want you back. And I think right now, especially if Uncharted, as much as we love the Uncharted series, if that movie bombs, that means that he's going to be another one of those Marvel actors who cannot make a thing that's successful outside of the MCU. Yeah. So if that's the case, he's going to probably come back, you know, crawling back, wanting to pick up that paycheck when it concerns what's going on there. So we'll see what happens. But it is Spider-Man No Way Home. We've shared our spoilerish thoughts on it. If you have any thoughts on Spider-Man No Way Home and the gigantic success that it is, Please let us know, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. We know you're out there and you've already most likely seen the movie. We would love to hear your thoughts. Do you agree with more with Josh that it's a tremendous top-of-the-line MCU film? Or with me that thought it was a pretty good film, close out the movie well, but got off to a rocky start? Let me know. Let Josh know. Popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. My friend, before we hit the break, just one last thing. Yellowstone, which has done a tremendous job of the Paramount Network and Paramount Plus, basically it is the thing that's holding the Paramount Network together as something that is garnering, can you believe this, on for cable television, a whopping seven to seven and a half million viewers every episode for its current fourth season run. And it's going to turn the reins over for a prequel series called 1883, which you know is going to just ride those numbers in there and probably have some good numbers itself. I mean, this series in and of itself has been a sensation over the past four seasons that it's been on. Your thoughts real quickly on Yellowstone and its prequel, 1883, that's coming out this weekend to the Paramount Network. I've had people recommend it to me. Clearly, there's a culture for it because you see a lot of like memes with people saying, let's take them to the train station where they you know, go to off people in the show. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is something that seems to be sustainable, kind of, I guess, in the way. What was that Ozark on Netflix? That's kind of what it reminds yeah. me of a little bit. But, yeah. I way mean, more popular, though. Way right, more popular. Right. So if this show is able to, like, maintain the audience it has and have a prequel, and if the prequel manages to be successful, you know, not in the vein of, like, Fear the Walking Dead, which was not very successful, it could be, yeah, I mean, this could be something that sustains Paramount Plus, at least until something new comes in, you know, with like the, the Halo show on the horizon. Who's to say how well that will do? But yeah, uh, you mean, say Fear the Walking Dead obviously has done nowhere near what this predecessor. Right. Or, that's, or that's, success. Yeah, that's what I'm. But it's still in its uh, what seventh season now. It's still continued to have a life with AMC. So, I mean, if it can get seven shows, seasons. Yeah, these shows are yeah. the Walking Dead, man. They're, yeah. They're just... yeah, well, that's true. That is AMC. <laughs> but if it can get anywhere near the kind of numbers that Yellowstone does. I mean, it's beginning good reviews from, from critics. So we'll wait and see my friend, but yeah, Yellowstone in 1883, we know Yellowstone's been a big hit, but 1883, the prequel is coming to Paramount Network. In fact, you've probably already seen it if you're a big Yellowstone fan. So please let us know your thoughts on 1883 and why Yellowstone has connected with you so much right here at the pop culture cosmos at pop culture cosmos at yahoo.com. Well, coming out after the break, we're going to be talking some Xbox because they produced and they released out there Power On, the story of Xbox, a documentary that's on the history of the Xbox over its past 20 years. Plus, we're also going to be talking about Lord of the Rings. Speaking of 20 years, man, 2001 was such a good year. A lot of good stuff that came out there. Plus, also, 
Josh Peterson will have his best and worst of pop culture in 2021. And we'll end the show with previewing the week for what's up ahead in pop culture right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. And if you're ready to talk toys, I haven't stopped talking toys. Let's get to it. It's the Jay and Rob Toy Show, and we're back for season two for 10 more episodes of Toy Talking Goodness. And this time, we talk Marvel figures, we talk DC figures, holy grails, play sets, what if scenarios, and so much more. But we're not alone. We've brought a few friends with us this time. All that, and of course, our action figure spotlight. So check out the Jay and Rob Toy Show season two exclusively on Jinx Esports TV Canada. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glassford along with my good friend. He is our jolly elf, Mr. Josh Peterson. Want to go ahead and mention one more time that we are the leader, number one Facebook tabletop RPG streamer that's out there. So if you want to check out all of our awesome games today, in fact, we did two before we even started this taping of tremendous tabletop RPG games. Dia Mitch had one, and also Vampires and Vitae with Rob and Melinda, who does such a great job each and every time out. They both had their games streamed on Facebook. So you want to go ahead and check out today Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook. And also go ahead and check out Melinda and I coming up on the Friday show as well. Ooh, Christmas. Christmas around the corner, my friend. But I'll tell you what, we still got a lot more to talk about on this episode. You are a major Xbox fanboy. I am a pretty good Xbox fanboy. I have enjoyed Xbox over the years. In fact, we recently talked about Xbox hitting the big old 2-0 a few weeks back. Your thoughts, though, as they recently released a six-part documentary, which I caught, Power On, the story of Xbox. And it was pretty much produced out there on all major Xbox channels. And the way I caught it was the Xbox channel on YouTube. So I think right there is probably the best way for anybody to catch it up there. But they've got several other outlets and other ways you can catch it. But Power On the Story of Xbox is a six-part documentary from development stage to the inner fights in regards to even being born to the drama and behind-the-scenes stuff to the highs and lows of the past 20 years for the xbox i am going to tell you right now my friend i am very thankful that this got put out there i think this was not an xbox pr stunt i think that they included most not all of the low points of the xbox but they included almost everything especially all the major things that were out there they were very frank to tell you what mistakes that they made including the closure of Lionhead Studios, the Red Ring of Death, and how they handled that initially. Uh, They talked about exactly how devastating that was and how much of a price tag it cost. They talked about where they placed in the industry at several points of time during each generation. They did pat themselves on the back at times, but some of it was deserved as far as what they've accomplished over the years. But your thoughts on maybe sitting down with this over the holiday break or the time that you're going to spend off, because I know you're going to be off for a little while and we'll talk about it at the back end of the show. But I wanted to ask you real quick, your thoughts on power on the story of Xbox. When you sent me the message talking about what we're going to talk about, I didn't even know that that was a thing. Like it wasn't advertised on IGN or Polygon. They kind of mentioned it on their 20th anniversary live stream, and yeah. then they just soft released it. It, it just was kind, just of kind of amazing. Out. Yeah, so I haven't had a chance yeah. to watch it. I'm, as soon as I get through The Witcher Season 2, I'll probably check. That'll be next on my to-watch list. But, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be really curious to know the story because I do know that there was a lot of things going on behind the scenes where – Microsoft did not want to put any funding into gaming. Like Bill Gates himself did not like the idea, even though he introduced the first Xbox, he did not really care much for gaming. So he, I know there was a, a lot of pushback for hardware. For, for hardware, hardware. Yeah. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of pushback internally for like whether or not even the Xbox 360 was going to come out. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely something I would love to sit down and watch because I mean, you know, X, Microsoft's done a great job with their things. I can't imagine what the landscape would be like at this moment without the Xbox and some of the major franchises that they've put out, and even some of the smaller indie games that they've put out. So, yes, I will definitely be sitting down to check this thing out over the uh, the holidays here. You know, it sounds like you enjoyed your time with it. So 
how would you sell this to somebody who like doesn't play Xbox? Maybe someone who sits in the Nintendo or Sony family. You'd have to sit through it as far as the aspect of Microsoft, the inner workings of Microsoft and, and how over the years they've been able to handle their business and in some cases not handle their business. Plus going into a marketplace that they were considerably behind Nintendo and Sony on. So that to me is it's the most intriguing aspect. And if you're someone that's an outsider or bystander and not really familiar or really caring about the Xbox product, it's going to be a hard sell for you because it is, again, six episodes, 40 minutes each of nothing but Xbox and Xbox talk and behind the scenes of Microsoft and whole nine yards. So if you're not a fan of Microsoft and Xbox or even wanting to go ahead and become interested in the behind the scenes of this, then it's probably not for you. But if you are interested in behind the scenes of one of the major software developers in history, or and also one now one of the leading hardware makers in history, and how in the case of Steve Ballmer and Bill Gates, both very reluctant, kicking and screaming into this age. I mean, first off, they had to sell Bill Gates on it. Then they had to sell Steve Ballmer. And each of them were huge battles, as you'll find out. It's really something I think that is very interesting. Plus, again, all the hitches in the road, all the successes, but also a lot of the mistakes that they've made over the past 20 years is documented and actually shown and actually not shied away from. And that's probably the aspect I like the most of it. But yeah, a really solid documentary. I really enjoyed it. It may end up on one of my best of lists. We'll see what happens there. But it is power on the story of Xbox. The best way to get it is just go to the Xbox channel on YouTube and you can pop it right in there. And again, it's six 40-minute episodes. Maybe take it all in once, maybe take it one at a time, but it is something I think you'll be enjoying as you go through the entire story of Xbox. So power on, the story of Xbox. It's there for you. Go ahead. I believe if you're a fan of video games, you're a fan of the business side of things, whether it's a major company or not, just you're a fan of behind-the-scenes things and things of that nature, Go ahead and check out Power On, the story of Xbox today. I do plan on checking. I do love me some gaming documentaries, so that is something I am eager to sit down and watch. Well, before we head on out, my friend, there's still more to talk about. I wanted to give you plenty of time. I'm going to go ahead and just decide anything else right now, because before we talk about Lord of the Rings and before we talk about what's coming up this week, I want you to go ahead and talk about your best and worst of pop culture for 2021. I know there's our rules for what we're talking about is that there are no rules, no top 10 lists, no top five lists, no set number that we're going to deal with. When I speak to you, when I speak to Melinda, and when I have my own list next week, we're just going to go ahead and just say, you know what? These are the things in pop culture, whether it's a book, whether it's a video, whether it's TV, whether it's video on demand, whether it's a film, whether it's a video game, whatever just really sat out to you in pop culture one way or the other. I want to hear it, man. So please, we're going to start off with your best of pop culture for 2021 and then save the very best, best, best for the last of this list. If you can. Okay. So I've kind of like broken my things up into groups of three. I have my my three that I enjoyed and then my top one and my worst one in each category. So I have movies, TV, video games, and music. All right. So we'll just start on on movies. All right. Here's my top three that I've seen this year. I got Ghostbusters Afterlife. It was an unexpected joy for me. I was not expecting a lot out of it, especially after the last outing. Yeah, it was it was definitely it was nice to see these older characters come back in a newer form with this updated technology and just seeing how they maintained the lighthearted feeling of the original Ghostbusters, but still like make it good for a modern audience. Like if you're trying to bring you're bringing a new generation of Ghostbusters into the fold, just like you're bringing a new generation of fans into the fold. And I feel like that transition was pulled off very well. Next one here, I got. Mobile Suit Gundam Hathaway. So this premiered on Netflix. This is the latest in the Gundam UC UC timeline, and this is a this is something that actually has the son of a character from the 1980s Gundam series. So it's cool to see how he came from these these older characters, and just to see like how this newer generation looks at the wars of their fathers. So that was a pretty good one. The animation is crisp and it's beautiful. The voice acting is really well done. Like there wasn't a single thing about this an- that felt 
like it had an anime trope. Like it was just it was a very solid piece of of film. Third one is one that we both enjoyed, um, Shang Chi. Yep, we did. Very well written. The soundtrack, the way it was stylized, the martial arts choreography, like everything about this movie was really. We've already kind of talked about this at at nauseum, so I'm not gonna go into more detail about it. But it's just, it was a very very great film you know especially since with like black widows opening the opening this next phase of the mcu while it was a good film it was not a standard bearer by any stretch of the imagination all right so for my top film is that what you want me to do to say my top film whatever you want my friend all right so my top i think the top thing i've watched this year is something we've already talked about on the show spider-man no way home would be my top thing from 2021 My worst thing, though, would be Home Sweet, Home Alone. This is a just a plague to, I'm sorry, that that was poor phrasing, should not use that word right now. This was a very poor addition to the Home Alone family. You know, I had never watched Home Alone 4, didn't know there was a Home Alone 4, but Home Alone 3 was not great. There's actually five. Uh, of them if you actually look it up really okay so i didn't i didn't know that but this was just i was expecting a lot not i wasn't expecting a lot from this movie but like with the cast you know they had a very good cast but it's just a really bad story you know you felt so bad laughing at these people who had fallen on hard times and they're just trying to get a doll back that this kid had stolen and all this bad stuff keeps happening to them like you yeah it, it didn't i don't know I don't know. I, you just, just go out there and watch it yourself. Create your own opinions on it. But it just was not my favorite thing. Moving on to television slash streaming. Honorable mention Witcher 2. I'm about four episodes in. And it is pretty good. Pretty good so far. Here I have WandaVision. So that was an unexpected joy to watch, I guess. Me and my wife sat down and watched it. And I loved the callbacks to all the old television shows. And then had that like Pleasantville feel to it and then you know she gets her powers and you have this big fight and so it did a good job as being the introductory marvel streaming series they did a very great job of showing like hey we care about television streaming content as much as we care about the films next i got men in kilts which i've, I've talked about on a show already features the two main characters from Outlander doing a road trip across Scotland, like highlighting all the beautiful things about it, food, music, culture. That was just a very easy show to sit down and watch. And you just, you felt very, it felt, I don't know, it, it makes you feel like you're there, I guess. And, you know, I've been, I've been kind of getting more into these like docuseries lately. Next one, I have Cowboy Bebop. Not my favorite show that I've seen this year, but it definitely is, it was good. It was good. We talked about this last week. Like, do you have any, now that's kind of sat in for a week, do you have any more thoughts to add on to it? Or are you? They, there's a petition out that is asking for it to be caught on somewhere else. I hope it gets caught on somewhere else. That's my opinion. And it might actually appear also as well on my best of next week. We'll see. Okay, because I'm still thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm wondering too if it's going to be something that Netflix kind of looks at and says like, oh well, maybe I guess more people liked it than we thought. Maybe they go back on their word a little bit. My top show of this year would be Clarkson's Farm. This was a Amazon Prime special featuring Jeremy Clarkson as someone who owns land and like literally has nothing on. I got about five acres and I got nothing on there. It's just overgrown with weeds and stuff. I sat back and I'm like, you know what? I could see myself farming. I probably won't ever farm, but like I could sat back. And I'm like, it would be fun to like have a tractor and go around and do all this stuff. Josh the farmer. Right, right. Okay, so my my worst show of this year would probably be Mighty Ducks Game Changers. Like I did enjoy the show, but I it was just not something that thrilled me enough to keep going back to it. And the question is now with Emilio Estevez leaving the show for good. Even though there's going to be a season two of it, it's really going to be very iffy that that show it's, continues. It'll, I'm predicting it's going to end after season two because it just it doesn't have the heart and soul of the original movies. And now that you know Emilio's gone, I just I don't see it being unless they they somehow manage to bring back Charlie. I honestly don't see it being anything that has a long lifespan. Video games, top three games here. I got Tales of Arise on which I played on PS5. There's a big story to this one, not really easy to explain, but it was nice to just sit down and play. Like a, I haven't played a JRPG in a long time, and this one was a nice one to kind of just 
sit on the couch. It was the first time in a long time that I had thought about a game while working, you know, and thought to myself, like, I can't wait to get home to play this. And I'm sure this is kind of something you experienced with, like, Uncharted and Mass Effect. And I know a couple those are two of your favorite games. Absolutely. Forza Horizon 5, very great game. Is it worthy of the 10? It got debatable, but, you know, it's definitely, like, I did really enjoy my time with it. Cozy Grove is another one. This is one we actually got a review code for, so I got to sit down and play that. Very calming, relaxing game. I'm, I'm finding more and more that I like these games where you're building and managing, like, nature parks. There's just there's something about it, you know? It's just it's very soothing, I guess. Top game of the year, I'd say Halo Infinite. I'm probably I'm about, like, six hours in right now, and while the, the map itself does feel overwhelming at times, it is a very fun reinvention of something that like I I grew up with pretty much you know I mean it came out when I was in middle school but you know from middle school on to where I am today it has everything that you know and love about the series but it also injects things that are new that feel good to play worst game of the year Biomutant I know I said I want to go back and play that one again but that was definitely not what I was expecting it to be and I don't really know what I was expecting it to be in the first place but that is something that was, uh, was a little underwhelming here. Music, I don't, I'm not really going to like review these albums, but I did listen to them, and they are two of my favorites I keep going back to over and over. Uh, the Young Hearts have an album out called Modern State you can catch today, and they're more like a emo band without the screamo, I guess. Like they're, there's, they're just like a solid emo slash punk-y band, I guess. Limp Biscuits' new album still sucks. Like, I don't, have you had a chance to listen to that at all? I have, yes, and I'm going to have to say I agree with you on that. It's it's like Limp Biscuits. like, I don't know, like his, he hadn't done anything great since like Significant Other, and I guess some of the stuff from Chocolate Starfish was kind of cool, but everything else in between that has just been horrible, but I just kept hearing people say, hey, man, you need to listen to Still Sucks, and at first I downloaded it to listen to it ironically, and then I'm like, I can't bash on this because it actually like, Fred Durst actually like has he still got it, but he's got some things to say on here that I can kind of get behind, you know, like, yeah, that opening track where he talks about how we all need to come together, you know, and fight against the people who are turning us all against each other. I'm like, yeah, I can I can feel the the message you're laying down there, Fred D. But that's my list, man. That is that is my list in all of its glory and entirety. I'll probably write a little bit about these things, you know, as we get closer to the new year, but. That's what I got for you. And you can check it out right there at popculturecosmos.com. Plus also as well, if you have any thoughts on the best and worst that you checked out in pop culture, we'd love to hear it. And we'll actually even say on the show if you want, right here at popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? If you're in the Las Vegas and Henderson areas and are looking to buy, sell, or trade the best in classic or current video games and pop culture collectibles, there's no better place to go than Retro City Games. From Xbox to PlayStation, Nintendo to Atari, the great crew at Retro City Games provides the best place to go for all your gaming options. Stop by their two awesome locations in Henderson and also the Las Vegas Strip or follow Retro City Games on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest deals and new items. Without a doubt, there's no better place to go for your gaming needs than your friends at Retro City Games. Well, Josh, I cannot thank you enough for sharing your thoughts on today's program with your best and worst of pop culture 2021. But before we head on out, I want to go ahead and make note that this is the 20th anniversary, not only of Xbox this year, as we talked about earlier with the power on story of Xbox documentary, but it's the Lord of the Rings, my friend, a little movie. Okay. It's a big movie. Then it's a big movie. Now, Lord of the Rings fellowship of the ring came out this time, 20 years ago, and it really shaped up as far as the beginning of what I am going to say right now. And I think that there's really no argument sorry to Star Wars fans, that The Lord of the Rings is the best trilogy. I'm not talking about movie set because then you get into The Hobbits and that's a different story. I want to talk about 
the Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, with its 20th anniversary. It is the best movie trilogy of all time. The Two Towers, which some people say is the best of the three movies. And then you have The Return of the King that won all the Oscars the year that it came out. My friend, this has been a monumental achievement for Peter Jackson. I think that is something that will go down in history as one of the great landmarks of movie making, period. The Star Wars trilogy is awesome. There's no way to deny its history and how wonderful it is. But I think that if you compare the three movies back to back and face up, I think The Lord of the Rings is going to squeak it on out. As much as I love Star Wars, as much as I love Empire Strikes Back, and as much as I think Return of the Jedi is a really good movie, even though a lot of people think that eh, it's okay at best, I think that as a trilogy, it's really good and it's really better than anything that Star Wars has done. But The Lord of the Rings... I think from the get-go is a quality trilogy matched by none other. Yes, I absolutely agree with you. There, There's very few movies where people have taken time off. 2020 is a perfect example of this, right? Like, we had a lot of time sitting on our couches, not doing anything. People played video games, but not many people that I talk to who are f- pop culture junkies like like ourselves not many of them sat down and said, hey, you know what I, I've done these several months I've spent in my living room? I have watched the Star Wars trilogy. In fact, I will say not a single one of them had said that. You know what I did hear a lot of? During the, the pandemic, I sat down and I watched Lord of the Rings all the way through, right? Because I feel like Lord of the Rings takes you to a world that is like, you just want to explore every corner of it. And the extended cuts. I recommend to anybody yes. get the extended cuts. Yeah, absolutely. And you can buy, I know they just released a big like set of 4K. Yes. And you can buy the the 4K Blu-ray sets always on sale at Best Buy for, you know, I think I want to say like 60 bucks. But no, this one's a complete collection, which includes all six films, theatrical and extended, yeah. the whole nine yards, digital downloads, their 4K, HDR best you can get i think it's around the 200 mark don't quote me on that but i think it's right around there it, so. let's let's be honest though like if you're gonna pay high dollar for a, a set of films like this is definitely worth paying yeah. for because you're getting you're getting like all, about 20 hours worth of movies there and like d- despite the hobbit you know like i didn't i didn't dislike the hobbit movies they they dragged on a little bit but i would still say that like if I were going to sit down and go through all the Middle Earth movies, I'm not going to end up fast-forwarding through any of this stuff. Like I said, I think Lord of the Rings does a, a better job of like pulling you into this world and keeping you locked in, whereas like Star Wars, because it jumps around to so many different worlds, it doesn't have the same like tractor beam quality that Lord of the Rings has. It's just there's something just so beautiful about this film set. You know, the soundtrack, the acting, the the world. It's just... it's. It's so fantastic, and I it pains me to know that like future generations coming up will not a- appreciate it the way that it was appreciated by us. I'm still trying to get my daughters to go ahead and check it out. I'm hoping one day that they will, because my wife and I named our girls after the Lord of the Rings movies. So hopefully right. they will go ahead mm-hmm. and... Yeah, I'm just hoping that they will go ahead and, and check it out. I know that maybe that's part of the reason why they don't want to check it out. Yeah. But I'm hoping they will. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know that's something that that needs to happen. You know, this is, this is how the legacy of Lord of the Rings will carry on is like mothers and fathers sitting down showing their kids, and then hopefully them showing their kids, and so on and so forth. I've actually like my kids are, you know, my girls are six and seven, and I've actually we've watched all six Middle Earth films. We're about halfway through wow. Lord of the Rings, or not Lord of the Rings. We're about halfway through Return of the King right now, so we need to finish it, but. They've really enjoyed those. Like the, our oldest actually took up archery after watching Legolas do his thing. So I think that people do. I think that a modern audience does still have the ability to be like enthralled by this film. They just need a reason to watch it. Once again, it's Lord of the Rings. It, it hit its 20th anniversary. I know Josh and I truly have a love affair with the first trilogy of the Lord of the Rings. I want to hear your thoughts out there. If you think the Lord of the Rings trilogy, meaning the Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, which is hitting 20 years old this week, plus also as well, the Twin Towers and the Return of the King. If that trilogy not only holds up against vaunted trilogies such as the Star Wars trilogy, I'll throw that one out there. But if you think it's the best trilogy of all time, like we do, 
We'd love to hear your thoughts on this. And if the Lord of the Rings, what kind of memories does it have for you, whether it's reading the book, watching the movies, or enjoying the experience whatsoever on it? Please let us know your thoughts on Lord of the Rings as the movie hits its 20th anniversary. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, my friend, it's been a great episode. I cannot thank you enough. I also want to mention before we head on out that this will be the last episode you will appear on for a little while because you are taking a break for the best of reasons. So I want to wish you and your family the happiest and safest of holidays and a beautiful one that's on the way being nothing but happy and healthy for you. Coming from the heart, Ben. Coming from the heart. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'll miss it. You know, once baby's here and we're settled in a little bit, I'll be back. We're excited about baby. I don't know, like there's just something, and I know I'm going to feel a lot of things once the baby's born, but it's just like this act of like bringing life into the world, you know, it's just, it feels so surreal to me. If you do though, name your kid Geraldine, you're going to have all my family looking at me like, what did you do to make Josh name their kid Josh? <laughs> yeah, no, we're my, so my wife's named after the load, the Esprit, the Lotus Esprit, like her dad named her after a car, so now... We're carrying on the tradition, and we're naming our, our baby Avora after the Lotus Avora. And we're okay. going to call her Evie for short. But if it was a boy, I got to pick the name. We're going to name him Gretzky for the great one. But unfortunately, well, didn't, uh, at least it's not your car currently. You're the Challenger. You didn't yeah. name, name her after that. Hello, Challenger. How are you? That would... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. That would be something. That would be that would be something indeed, but I do want to wish you and your family and spirit and everybody in your family all the best this holiday season and in your time off. Whenever you're ready to come back, it, the seat will always be warm for you. You and I have been doing this for five years, and it's been the best five years of podcasting I've ever done with you, my friend. So I truly cannot thank you enough for being part of this and looking forward to have you back in the hot seat. But before you on out, my friend, as we close out today's show, Want to go ahead and make mention of what's coming up this week on Christmas week, because it's the last week we're going to see any inclusions to films that are trying to go ahead and make their way to the Oscar buzz, because you got to put it out there by Christmas day. So you're going to see a lot of stuff, but we're also seeing major blockbusters for the final time this season in sing to the matrix resurrections and the Kingsman, among others. Plus, we're going to see the final episode of Hawkeye, which has been a great series so far. Could it be the best Marvel series? We'll find out. We'll see my thoughts on the Friday show with Melinda Barkhouse-Ross coming up on the PC Multiverse on, I believe, near Christmas Day. I think you'll be able to hear it, so check out for that. But any last thoughts on this big week coming up? I really feel sorry for The Kingsman. The Kingsman has been tossed around on the release date schedule for a long time. Back and forth, back and forth. I know you and I have spoken about it being moved back like at least three times, four times. And then it was pushed up from a February or March date to right where it is now. I think they just blew it with the Kingsman. I think right now in the age of Spider-Man and Sing 2 and The Matrix getting all the pub, I really think that they just blew it with the Kingsman. Yeah, I mean, and I don't have any doubt that it's going to be one of those like much in the vein of like the, the original Kingsman. Like it's going to be something that people discover after it's out of theaters you know like it's going to be something that people enjoy watching once it's it's available to stream and download digitally and all that yes it's unfortunate that where it's placed but i i feel like the movie itself is going to be good it's the matrix i think that's not going to do so hot and box office numbers because of the hbo max release date i agree with you my friend in fact i'm gonna see it hbo max i've got the big screen already ready to go ahead and pop it there i'm excited for it i want to see it if it's really super good to me i may go ahead and check it out theaters like i did dune i made every effort to go ahead and check out dune after i watched it on tv to go ahead and check it out on imax i may do the same with matrix resurrections but we'll see i will have a review of matrix resurrections on our friday show Plus thoughts on Hawkeye episode six. We'll go ahead and recap the series from there. Plus Melinda Barkhouse Ross will have her best and worst in pop culture for 2021 as well. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great. 